This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, welcome everybody. Welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. Uh, before we begin, a quick announcement. Announcement. Um, we are, just in case anybody wants, I do get emails regarding the class. So just for the, for the information, our girls class are, is every Thursday at 1601 Quentin Road, the BJX location, at 8 p.m. Now, I would recommend whoever is on the online world and does want to join us, please do join us. But also email me uh, prior just to make sure that the class is still on. The email is r-a-b-b-i-z-i-t-r-o-n at TorahAnytime.com. And we also have our men's class on Tuesday on 6.30 Avenue S at 8 p.m. So 6.30 is not the time, it's the address. I get that confusion a lot. It's, uh, the address is 6.30 Avenue S at Bet at 8 p.m. Again, also email me uh, just to make sure the class is on schedule. Okay, let us uh, begin. Tonight's class, uh, we are continuing with the subject, can we prove God? Can we see God in, t- in the world? Now, I know I've been getting, you know, we are dealing with a lot of concepts here that is very hard to, uh, uh, to grasp and understand, let alone to memorize. What, what I do want to do just, uh, you know, every, every few classes in this series, I do have to, like, uh, mention out there. One of the main goals of this is not only to help you better understand that there is a God, but rather also give you the tools and the ability to be able to convince other people that there is a God. Now, I bring a lot of scientific proofs, a lot of evidence, a lot of yada, yada, yada. Not everybody's going to memorize it. At the end, you don't have to memorize all this information. You need to know this information because the final class that I'm going to give at the end of this series, on the combined series, is going to be a big summary on everything and how to use it in practical terms. So... That being said, today we're going to be speaking about a topic called intelligent design. A very, very big argument in the scientific world. Is it scientific? Is it not scientific? And when we get to that, Bezat Hashem. I I was once speaking to a a young man uh, with a very, very troubled past. And we were were going to talk about religion. Now, when I have to deal usually in this situation, I know that one of the first steps, and this is the way that I go in generally, one of the first steps when you're speaking about religion, you don't speak about religion. Because that's not going to help. The first step is to speak about God. Because if God doesn't exist in that person's mind, there is nothing to talk about. There is nothing to even go forward with religion. So, first step in my curriculum, and and, and I said a lot, a long time for this, uh, you know, for this uh, conversation with this man, because I knew a little bit about him, you know, and uh, uh, we we started off at about 10.30 at night. We ended ended around close to to 1 a.m. And... My, the way that I started was, was, you know, like, I understand you really went through a hard time in your life. You had a really, you know, hard emotionally, physically, like a lot of issues uh, that, that he had to overcome in his life, which led him to a lot of other issues, including drugs, including a lot of, uh, you know, other problems. So, and right now he lived a life as a completely secular person. So I go to him and I say, listen, he says, I know that you had a very hard time. You had a very difficult upbringing, but you should know that there is a God. And, and then I was like getting ready to like, you know hand them out with like, you know, the past like few hour classes that I already gave already on like all the proof that there is a God. And then he stops me in his tracks and he's like, no, 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 don't worry. Yeah, I know that there's a God. And I'm like, I'm like, huh? What do you mean you know that there's a God? Because I never encountered this. What if you know that there's a God, then how come you're not religious? There's some sort of a miscommunication going on over here. You told me this is, this is quite a few years ago this is going. So he's like, oh, no, no, I know for sure that there is a God. So then I started getting curious and I'm like, and I was like, you know, stepping over the boundaries. I'm like, how do you know that there's a God? You know, like, what? I'm like, I don't know how much I want to step forward and be like, wait, maybe there isn't a God. I'm like, okay, if you believe in God, maybe I should just leave it the way it is. But I was like, you know, how do you know that there's a God? And we were, we were, you know, we were doing the walking and talking. You know, the people that walk and talk, you know, somebody who's at home and they're on the phone and they're climbing on couches, you know, Spider-Man up everywhere. And they go all over the place. So 
And we actually met inside, and he said, you know, do you mind if we walk and talk? So we walked and talked. So he turns around, there was a tree and a bush. He says, says you've got to be kidding me. He says, I'm a logical person. You see a tree, you see a bush over here. Is it possible that God doesn't exist, that these two things exist over here? So I'm like, in the middle, I'm like, high five, man. High five. We're done. I'm like, I'm going home early tonight. Um, and we haven't actually, you know, you know, speak quite a lot. But the idea is that when you see things in the world, it points to a designer, and that is the idea behind intelligent design. Intelligent design means that you see a watch, you know there's a watchmaker. You see a phone, you, either, you know there's a phone maker. You see a remote, you know there's a remote maker. This one happens to be Sony, this one happens to be Samsung. There are people, it doesn't just come into existence. So when you see things, you know that it comes in for some sort of existence, some sort of way. The more complex the idea is, or the object is, the more higher level you can consider the, the maker. Now, if somebody goes and knows how to make a chair, that's very nice. You know, congratulations, you're able to build an IKEA chair out of instructions made out of only one page in a different language. You are very good. Uh, but if you're able to go and build a computer from scratch, that gives you a little bit more of an applause. Now, if you're able to build a flying, you know, airplane, and I have to emphasize the flying part, uh, you know, flying airplane, that means that you're even a greater creator. So the greater the creation, the greater the creator. And that is uh, the, the simple idea uh, behind it. What evolutionists say, which is what we spoke about last time, we're not going to go into details because we really spent you know, quite some time in it in the last class, but I'll give you just a, some, some brief overview. They say that, no, 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 a watch doesn't mean there's a watchmaker because there's something called you know, evolution, natural selection. There are things that can happen by chance by itself. Now, last class we spoke about the problems with this. We spoke about what is the, the odds of this happening, the probability of this happening is very slim to none. We also spoke about falsifying information. Now, you know, think about it like this. You know, when um, you see the Palestinian media, the, you know, you see, let's say, you know, like, they go over there and they'll show, uh, you know, I'll give you a better example. I've actually seen this. They show, like, of course, because Israel, you know, is terrible and we bombed them and they're innocent people and how can we do that? And they showed a bunch of, like, uh, corpses, and I'm using air quotes for corpses, with white sheets over them. And it was like scanning the room, and then it was like very interesting because one of the corpses was moving on there. It was just, you know, I guess it got like a nervous twitch or something. They were like shaking over there. And the camera was moving back and forth. The cameraman didn't obviously get it. It got uploaded online or whatever, you know, media format and source that they, uh, you know, platform that they use. And then it, got, then it got caught. And then people were like, why is that guy moving? The guy's not dead. And then they found other, you know, other, uh, you know, uh, different clips where you see, like, before, it was videoed by, by, I guess, somebody else and it got leaked out, that before an explosion, and I'm using air quotes, happens in a Palestinian territory, there is, you know, people running around with a makeup crew. And they're like, you know, it's like Hollywood, you know, like, put dust over there. There was, um, there was a... I, I may be wrong with this information, but um, I believe it was in Syria. There was a picture of circulating a little boy after a, a bomb explosion. Am I, was that Syria? And they were like, look, this is so terrible. What's happening over there? Meanwhile, it was something that happened years and years ago. So, you know the story of the boy who cried wolf? Like, eventually people are going to stop believing you. Of course, this is not going to happen for the Palestinians, uh, because God runs the world. And no matter how much they lie and how much they present the information wrong, people are still going to believe them. But regardless of the fact, the idea still stands that if you keep on lying, people are going to stop believing you. Now, I can't say that about evolution, because evolution, not overall, everybody's lying. But there was enough evidence found that the, the information was falsified, or withheld, for that matter. There was also misrepresentation of the information. I, was, I, I spoke to somebody, actually I spoke to a few people that grew up in the public school system, 
and they taught, they were taught evolution, and I asked them the simple question of where did the first matter come from, or where did the first living cell come from, All right? Spontaneous generation is the general answer, which they didn't even know for that reason. But I said, Let, let's speak about matter, the basic stuff. Where did the, you know, we spoke about the first class, the Big Bang. Where did the first matter come from? And they're like, wow, that's a good question. I'm like, wait, they didn't teach you that when they taught you this? And they're like, no. I'm like, that is not, what you're not teaching, you're just giving them the facts that you want to give them. This is complete misrepresentation of the facts. If you want to teach them something like evolution, teach them all the facts. Teach them the part that we know is a fact. Teach them the part that we know is a theory and we don't know more than that. So, the, um, you know, the idea of it also is that when you're presenting information, many people are, and I have to be very careful with the words I use, and I, and I don't want to use the word manipulate, but I'm going to use the word manipulate. But know that I put a little asterisk on manipulate, that many people are very easy to manipulate. Now, why is that? Because many people will just accept, you're sitting there in a class, and the teacher, the professor there presents the information, and everyone's like writing those, like covalent bonds, okay, what's covalent bonds? No one, you know, no one knows, you know? And then you just like write stuff down, and then you take it as facts, because this is what the professor taught them. And no one, you know, you don't ask questions. People that ask questions are, are you know, you know, of, of the few. Now, when you have, and by the way, if you just th throw very hard words, like, at the student, you know, like, like, how do you spell that? I know it's like an F sound, but is there like a P-H-T-P-H-P -P -P going on over there? Because, like, you know, like, you, you go and you throw some difficult words, people get lost, and they just accept it as fact. And be like, what do you mean? I was taught evolution. Evolution is a fact. I'm like, do you know anything about evolution? Um, might be a good question what they got on their tests and the quizzes, but when they so strongly believe in this uh, religion called evolution, the... In any case, it, it's with all this information, it's no wonder that people believe in evolution because people don't ask. Now, when you're looking at the opposite of evolution is the intelligent design. No, nothing happened by chance. There's actually a creator. There's someone that designed this, and that is what it means by intelligent design. It was designed by somebody. But they claim, the, the evolutionists claim that no, there, even as complex as it is, it's possible that it all came into, into existence. There's an idea... Um, that is known to most human races, people that have common sense, that if something is too good to be true, it's probably not true or not too good. One of them has to be wrong over there. Uh, you know, like, you know, I'm sure everyone here has got the email from the Nigerian prince, yeah, Kubale, you know, Prince Nigeria from Kubale, you know what I'm talking about? The guy who says, listen, I have 10 million dollars, I cannot, I need to give it, I don't know why this guy has a different accent than Nigerian, but pretend I gave a Nigerian accent, and he's like, I have $20 million, I need to get rid of it right now, can you please send me your social, your address, so I can give it to you and you'll take 15% and it'll work for both of us. Now granted, apparently this worked for some people because people were like, wow, I just hit the jackpot. Have the person ever stopped to wonder, like, where did he get my email from? Like, how did he contact? Out of all the people in America, you know, where did he get my email? And now, if something is too good to be true that all you got to do is send him some information, it's probably not true. It's probably a problem. So, when you look at evolution, the statistical probability of it happening is so small that don't you think if it's like, there may be other answers to that question. Things that, you, that are too good to be true, you have to, really, you have to really start thinking about it. Now, according to the evolution theory, if it's something that's so improbable and yet you're claiming it to be true, shouldn't you stop for a second and think, you know what, maybe, maybe it's not true. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but just maybe, maybe there's something wrong with this situation. There's something that we're going to speak about today, uh, hopefully I'll speak about. This really, uh, uh, you know, a little bit. And by the way, this class is very interrelated to uh, to the evolution class because it's the two two ends of the opposite. The there's something called irreducible complexity, um, which evolution 
they, you know, there's always an argument between the creationists and the evolutionists. So the creationists are people that believe that there was a creation, evolutionists believe that everything came from nothing. So the creationists say that there's something called irreducible complexity, which means is the way that evolution works, and I'm not gonna, we're not, really not going to speak a lot about evolution, is that you have one mutation, if it's favorable, it stays, and you have, you know, so on and so forth, more mutations as they go on. So now, when you have a mutation, then it makes sense that you go into the next mutation, and the next mutation, and the next mutation. Now what happens, what happens if in order for something to work, you don't need one mutation, you need a tremendous amount of mutations. So an idea of this is something called blood clotting. Blood clotting means, if you ever realize, if God forbid you cut yourself, and I don't mean you cut yourself like you're cutting yourself, I mean you accidentally cut yourself, if you cut yourself, and what's stopping all the blood to just like leak out? there is something called, your, your body deals with a biochemical uh, mechanism called blood clotting. What it does is, is that it, collect, it connects together and it's like, you know, everyone like hold hands really tight. You know, and the, all the blood, you know, the, 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 the cells, they hold their hands together and they'll be like, no exit over here, please. You know, you know keep on going. This is not an exit. You know, this just, just you know, go around. What does it go around? Go collect $200. Um, you know, so it sort of, it, it sort of congeals. It sort of connects together and it sort of like, puts a stop on that hole. Now, granted, if that hole is very big, it's not going to be able to. You can actually bleed to death. But that is the idea. Now, in order for this process to work, it has to have not just one mutation. There is a bunch of different biochemical mechanisms that has to... There's so many chemical reactions that have to take a place at the same time simultaneously in order for it to work. So the question that the creation asks is, I don't understand. It says, if you're saying it's one mutation after another, here we need like six, seven, eight, nine, ten mutations... That with all these mutations by themselves will mean nothing, but together they work as as a as a, uni, as a unit unity to in order to blood clot. So the question is, how does that work? It doesn't make sense in mutations. Now, of course, you know the evolution answer back that you know uh, you know uh, evolution is not linear, but we're not going into the back and forth of things. But the idea is is that the the, the, the science world believes in something like this, that just because we don't understand something yet doesn't mean we won't understand something later. It's called emunah and bitachon in science. The, um, I don't think they use that verbiage, but something along those lines. Now, the idea behind it is, if you think about it, you know, ancient Greeks, they used to ask, like, how does the world not fall down? We know, if you take this, take something that doesn't weigh as much, you take this, you drop it, it's going to fall down. And now we know that we can calculate the speed, we can calculate all that information. The question that they ask is, how come the world doesn't fall down? Why isn't the world constantly falling? Um, so the answer is, is, is a very intelligent answer, is that there's someone holding up the world. And the ancient Greeks believe that there's a god. And this god holds up the world. And why doesn't the god fall? Ah, good question. Because the god is a god and is not related to natural you know, uh, you know, occurrences. So that is, and they named this god, that, you know, I believe it was Atlas. So he said, until we figured out how the solar system works, how everything works, then we figured, then we figured out how, what, the answers for everything. Just like now, we don't have the answers for everything, but, you know, Bizrat Hashem, you know, we'll have the answers for stuff. Is, is, uh, their belief in it. There is a, um, a very famous, uh, philosopher by the name of Dr. Anthony Flew. He was a very, very avid atheist, like he wrote books on atheism. You know, that's when you're like, yeah, that's when you can call yourself, you know, like, you know, Hashub, when you write books, you know, you put the stuff into print. And he put many, many books into, on, on atheism. And at the tender age, the young age of 81, he decided that he's going to renounce his atheism. And it wasn't because he died. You know, generally people are atheists until they die, right? And like we spoke in the last time, they're like, <laughs> look at that, there is another world. Surprise, surprise. And in any case, so he actually was still alive, and he, you know, he, he revoked his atheism. 
He asks for his membership, uh, you know, fees back. And he says, I'm no longer an atheism. And, and I want to actually quote some, some, now what made somebody after 81 years of being an atheist all of a sudden stop? And he goes like this, says, the argument to intelligent design, and I'm quoting, is enormously stronger than it was when I first met it. It is now seems to me that the findings of more than 50 years of DNA research have provided materials for a new and enormously powerful argument of design. You know what changed his mind from becoming an atheist to believer? Something called intelligent design. It makes no sense. When you look at the world, you look at how it works, you look at how awesome it is, it doesn't make any sense that it just came from nothing. So, the, um, you guys heard of uh, Isaac Newton? One of the most famous... Uh, uh, scientists ever, you know, ever, period. So now, he, he was a believer in God, and he actually even studied Judaism. Uh, that's what they say. They actually, I say he actually said he wasn't Jewish. He studied Judaism. And uh, he had an atheistic, uh, atheist friend. Atheistic friend, I don't know if that's correct English. Uh, he had an, a friend who was an atheist. Now, this atheist one time came over to his, uh, you know, study, and he saw that... Isaac Newton had this, like, magnificent model of the planetary systems. So he had, you know, like the sun, and the planets are orbiting around it, and the moons are orbiting around the planets. Everything was, like, so miraculous. And the guy's, like, looking at him, he's like, this is amazing. Who, like, who did this? And, and, you know, Isaac Newton says, oh, you think this is amazing? There's a little lever. Why don't you pull around, the, turn around that, that lever? And, the, and, you know, the atheists started turning around the lever, and everything, everything started moving. The moon started turning around the sun, the planets started orbiting around the sun, and he's like, this is unbelievable. He says, who created this masterpiece? So, you know, Newton said, you know, it's a funny story. I had a bunch of these, like, you know, material, and they all just sort of, like, you know, fell, crashed, and they came into this magnificent thing. And the atheist was like, he's like, are you kidding me? He's like, what do you mean? He says, this whole magnificent structure, this all came from nothing? And he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, isn't it crazy? It's uh, so crazy. What's the probability, right? And he's like, you got to be kidding. There's no way that this magnificent creation came from nothing. So Isaac Newton goes over to his atheist friend, and he says, this, you don't believe that it came from nothing, but the whole world, he points up, he says, this world... But it's so magnificent world, you believe that this came from nothing? So, the idea that we're going to be speaking about is, the idea is of, of, of design. And here's, here's also a good example, just to get before we actually even get started on this. You're walking in the desert, you're walking in, you know, somewhere, you're walking in the forest, and you, you see two stones together, like very nicely, you know, metrically aligned. Are you going to think that there was a person there that put these two stones together? Now, maybe yes, maybe not. I could equally say that it, it's very probable that it just so happens to be the stones were equally aligned. Very likely. Now, let's say it's three stones. Still, I'll give it likely. Now, what happens if you see the stones piled up in a tower? Now, I remember when I, um, in this past summer, I went uh, hiking with my wife. Very recommended for uh, married couples to spend time with their wives. And uh, so we went on a hike. And it was a it was a huge place for this like this you know it was like a I don't even know what you call it it was a huge place that you go hiking, and what I know like it was so I don't ever understand the hiking trails because they like mark it off with like this marker like a black line over here I'm like I'm like I have to have the magnifying glass to find this black line you know like to know where and it's like in 50 yards you'll see the next black line and you're like looking where is this black line and uh, this was like and this was a place that very easily you could just get lost off the path and I saw something very interesting I don't know what this is called I don't know why people do this but I saw rocks piled one after another I don't know if it's called stacking or something people I mean I've spoken this about before people and they were like yeah yeah that makes sense uh, it's a thing people do They'll take rocks. It's very interesting because this place had a lot of flat rocks. So I saw there was like a flat rock, flat rock, flat rock, and it was like a pile. It could be like 10, 12 rocks, one on top of another. Now, when I look at that, do I be like, wow, that's like there was a hurricane here? And it just so pulled that together. And I'm like, no, for, not even for a second. I knew that somebody was there and put the rocks on top of each other. I didn't know why. I kind of wanted to do it also. But 
I didn't. But it's, you know, it's, it kind of makes you wonder, like, you know, somebody must have been here. Which means is I'm not that off, you know, the, uh, the track. So when you see that, you're starting to think, you know, there's a little bit of design in here. Must be that someone was there. Now let's say I'm traveling in the desert um, for some godforsaken reason. I don't know why. I'm in the desert. And I find there a watch. Not only a watch, I find a smart watch. Do I think, I'm like, well, this is sick. It has the same name as, like, Samsung on it also. The desert must have had, you know, like a crazy windstorm, had all the materials in here, and voila, created a watch. No, you don't think for a second. And let's say there's juice in it, there's still juice on the watch. You think that somebody must have been here recently. The idea behind this is very, very simple. You see something with design, a.k.a. humans, or anything else that you could look at around the, your, your life, it's like you start thinking, okay, there must be a designer toward, toward, you know, towards it. The... We see this in Tehillim, in chapter 19, uh, you know, verse 2. It says, Meaning that the handiwork of God speaks to His presence. You look into the world, you can see God. You can look into the world, you cannot see God. You always have the free will to it. But if you open your eyes, you really will see God. I want to, um, now I want to present some, some information on the, uh, you know, we're going to be dealing a little bit on the, in the science realm of things. Now, I want to be very, very clear. I'm going to say things like, how does this exist? And, you know, how does this happen? I'm going to, this is like a disclaimer. We all know, most of us will know, some of us will know, few of us will know, at least, that why, how things happen. In the science world, you can know how things happen. My question, even though I'm going to say how, my focus is, and keep this in mind, it's not the how, it's the why of things. Like, we know how trees are made. We know how, we know the, the, the science behind it. But let's take it a step, let's go out of the box for a second and ask why. Why does it happen the way that it is? You ever have an argument uh, with somebody, hopefully it's not your spouse, and you're saying, why are you the way that you are? Right? You, know, that's, you know, that's when you're done. That's, you know, that's when the argument is over, and especially if you're a man. Um, <coughs> it, it, there's a, you know, it, the, the question is, is, why is it the world the way that it is? Let's ask that on the world if we may for a second. Now, I heard this from Shmuel Waldman. I'm going to change it around a little bit. But, it, you know, think of it the scenario like this. There was a person who was blind and deaf from birth. And then somehow, miraculously, not important how, he got cured, he was able to hear, he was able to see. Let's say, for argument's sake, he was 20 years old, his name is Sam, you're his tour guide on the world, you're going to show him around the world. Now, before you are his tour guide, he learned some basic stuff. He learned English, he learned language, he learned colors, he learned all the, all the basic stuff. And you come out, and you're like, you know, hi Sam, my name is fill in your name, and he goes in and you say, let me, you know, let me show you just, you know, the basic stuff. You get outside, he looks outside, and the first thing that he sees is a tree. And he's like, he's like, whoa. He's like, what's that? So he says, well, Sam, this is a tree. And he's like, who made it? And you say, like, no, 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 this is, uh, you know, nature. Nature made it. So he says, but how, how did nature make it? So, you know, you took some science courses, so you know a little bit about something. And you say, listen, there is something called a seed. And you take a little seed, and you say, this seed, you uh, put it into the earth, and you show them the earth, this is the earth. And you put some water, you show them some water, and you have some sunlight, you show them the sun. Don't look too much on it, you, you know, you just got healed. You know, you go look at the sun, and all these four things create this magnificent creation. And he's like, okay, hold up one second. He's like, he's like... He's like, this feels solid. He points at the wood. He's like, what's this called? He's like, this is wood. So you're like, okay. Um, I see the earth. I see the water. I see the seed. I see the sun. Where's the wood? He says, how did the earth make the wood? Or how did the seed make the wood? The seed is just so tiny. How did it come into the, into, into the, into the wood? So 
he says, and then he stops for a second, he says, and he says, um, you know, maybe it was the earth, and he starts picking up the earth and he plays with it. And, the, you know, let's, you know, pause that story for a second. Imagine you take a huge pot, and you fill it up with a thousand pounds of earth. And you plant a tree in it, and you plant a seed, everything, it goes to a magnificent, beautiful tree. You come back 15 years later, you see this beautiful tree. Let's say you take the tree out and you weigh the earth. How much earth do you think is still in there? Roughly, it's going to be a thousand pounds. Which brings you to the question, there's about a, you know, a few ton tree over here that grew, and the earth is the same. The water is insignificant compared to the, to the amount of tree that you have over here. The sun is not giving off anything that's, that's uh, you know, physical to the tree. Where did the wood come from? Very good question. Have you ever thought about it? If not, good time to think about it. So, the, um, think of it like this way. Think of it as somebody coming over to you and gives you a paper, you know, as much paper as you want, as much paper clips as you want, and as much staples as you want. And he says, please build me a car. And be like, I, I don't, even if you know how to build a car, I'm like, I don't have enough material over here to build a car. Where is the material to build this tree? So, he goes and he says, listen, this is nature, this is how it builds, it goes up, stop asking a difficult question. It's like a little kid, like, you know, like daddy, you know, where does the sun come from? And the sun comes from, you know, it's in the outer space, and he mumbles some words, uh, throws some big words in a photo, and uh, then you say, okay, uh, where do the clouds come from? The clouds come from the ocean, come from the, um, and then he, eventually he asks questions, he'd be like, stop asking questions! You know, go ask your mother. You know? um, so, which is, by the way, it is important to add, never, never say that to your child. Always, always answer the questions. And it's always okay to say, I don't know. Uh, you don't have to know every answer. It's better to say, I don't know, than give him a false answer. So there's a little magician that sits behind the sun, and it's just a wand very far away. Um, so now, this, going back to Sam, did we say his name was Sam? His name was Sam. Okay, we did say his name was Sam. So this Sam goes and he says, this is magnificent. And then he looks and he sees this, like, green things that are hanging from the branches, from the wood. And he looks at it and he's like, he's like, He's like, this is so unbelievable. Who glued all these things to the tree? And he's like, do you mean the, the leaves? He's like, yeah, like, who glued it? He's like, no, no, these leaves come from the tree. And he, he looks at the tree, he's like, knocks it, and he's like, this is pretty solid. He says, how does something like that come out from something solid? It doesn't make any sense to me. So you answer something again, uh, nature. And then, then you go on and be like, you know what, you remember something called photosynthesis. Um, from, uh, from, uh, you know, from high school or college, and you say, you know, there's something called photosynthesis. What happens is, is that the water goes into the roots, and then it travels up the tree, and he stops, Sam says, he's like, whoa, whoa, what happened to gravity? He says, how does the water climb up the tree? So you mumble something about, you know, cohesion therapy, whatever, you know, don't worry about it, it just gets up there. And, um, he, you know, he says, let me tell you the parts that I know. And then he goes up and he says, um, you know, it, the photosynthesis is something very interesting. It goes into, it, you know, the water goes up and gets into the, into the leaves. And when the sun hits the leaves, it activates a chemical reaction because of the, there's a certain, you know, thing in the tree called chlorophyll. And now this chlorophyll, what it does is, as it takes water, water, as we all know, is H2O, is two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom. And what it does is, is it separates the hydrogen and the oxygen. So you have the hydrogen cells over here, and the oxygen is something very cool. It has, the leaves have little holes called pores, and it just lets the oxygen out. What's interesting is that us humans and every animal life, we need the oxygen. So we breathe in this oxygen. And... Um, so, so Sam asks you, so what happens with the hydrogen that's stuck in the, you know, in the, in the tree? Good thing that you ask, because I know this answer too. And, he, and you go on and you say that when humans breathe out, we breathe out carbon dioxide. We breathe in oxygen, we breathe out carbon dioxide. What this 
tree does, it, it takes, the leaves takes in the carbon dioxide, it attaches it with the two hydrogen atoms in there, and it produces a simple sugar. And this is what gives the energies to survive. And what's miraculous about this whole thing is that we need the trees to survive, the trees need us to survive, and everybody needs the sun to survive. So the, you know, Sam goes and says, this is unbelievable. So who designed this? This is something magnificent. Who designed it? So no, 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 this is just, you know, this is, this is how nature works. This is how, you know, this is how, you know, things work in this world. So then he goes and he says, okay, what are those green little balls hanging from the trees? So he says, those are oranges, actually. So Sam says, listen, I just learned my colors, you know. And I said, that's green, that's not orange. He says, why does it look orange? So you explain to him and you say, listen, the orange starts off green, and when it's ready, it turns into orange, so that you know that it's ready. So he's like, wow, that's crazy. He's like, oh, no, that works in everything. You know, like a banana is also going to be green, but when it's ready, it turns into, um, you know, it's, the color is yellow. So he's like, who goes around and paints all these oranges and bananas the right colors? So he says, no, no one turns, the, no one paints it. This is just how it happens. So he says, he says, thank you. So he says, I don't understand. He says, this just happens by itself. And it, you know, you go and you pull off, uh, you, you, you don't pull off. You look at a, you know, a, a banana tree. Now, assuming this is a very short banana tree, you can just grab it. And you say, grab a banana. And it's not ripe yet. You know what happens if you could try to grab a banana that's not ripe? Try to pull it off. Even if you buy in the, in the um, uh, you know, grocery, uh, you know, what is it called? A cluster of bananas? I don't know what the right uh, terminology of it. You know, a gang, you know, a posse of bananas, uh, you know, an entourage of bananas, right? And you go over there and you try to break one off. If it's not ripe, it's very difficult to break one off. The second that it's ripe, all of a sudden it comes easy. Now what happened? That banana got weaker. Like, oh, it's dying. I'm so weak. You know, now you can take it off. Like what happened all of a sudden that, no, first it's strong, it doesn't want to do it. And then it all of a sudden takes it off. Now let's say you try to peel it when it's unripe. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to peel. The peel still sticks, sticks, sticks to it, you know, and it's very, very difficult. What makes it all of a sudden, the ca- not only the color change, but also the characteristic of the banana, the orange, all the fruits, they change when they're ready. Who decided that all of a sudden it's going to be ready? Very interesting. No one ever thinks about it. The now, even if you want to go and you want to try to eat something that's not ready, that's not ripe yet, it's very, it's very unhealthy for you. It could cause you a stomachache. So you think about it, like, look at this. It's almost as if someone designed it. And to tell you, hey, it's not ready yet. How am I going to tell you it's not ready yet? It's going to be very difficult for you to pick it off the tree. And if you do pick it off the tree, it's going to be very difficult to peel it. And even if you do peel it, it's not even going to taste as good. So it's almost as if someone's telling you, hey, not ready yet. You know, you play hide and seek, you know, when you're four, five, six, seven years old, and you go and you say, you know, ready or not, no, not ready, not ready, right, so you got to count to another 100 uh, Mississippis, uh, you know, until people try to figure out the hiding places that they, um, and by the way, the, oh, you know what, let's not get into hiding, all right, so now, the, you go, and you say, you say, Sam goes to you and says, listen, he says, I understand, you keep on telling me the word nature, it's, come on, it's got to look like someone designed this. This is like, there's a lot of intricate things into, into this. And he takes an orange and he starts opening it up, assuming he never ate an orange before. He takes an orange, it opens up, all of a sudden it starts leaking. He's like, oh, it's bleeding. He's like, I don't know what to do with this. And you're like, no, 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 that's just the juice of the orange. It's called orange juice. And you start explaining to him, this is, you know, this is actually a very sweet juice. You know, people buy it. And, you know, it's, it's, be- it's amazing. It tastes amazing. And he says, he says, I don't understand something. He says, the water comes in clear. How does it come in sweet and orange all of a sudden? So, and then he opens up the orange, he peels it off, 
and he opens up the orange and he looks at it and he's like, he's like, look at that. Somebody went and individually wrapped every drop of orange juice. They went and they wrapped it in there. Have you ever looked at orange before you're gobbling down your mouth like in a, you know how Americans eat, oh, cookie monster. That's how we eat. We eat, you know, like this. Fast food is not just in fast food places. Americans just eat fast. Um, well, see, that's why we speak this class. So, the, and you go and you tell them, no, 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 no one, no one wrapped it. This is just how it happened. By the way, if you ever think about it, you know how expensive it would be to commercially produce an orange? You have to wrap every piece of juice in a little, you know, different thing. Why just create a bowl of juice, you know, like slurp it up like a, you know, like a, you know, good alien trying to eat a, you know, a bowl of whatever. The, I, you, you think about it, we don't appreciate what we have, what we have over here. So he's looking at the orange and he's like, I got it. Because I knew there was a maker to this orange, and I found the maker to this orange. He put his signature right on the orange. And you're like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. No, there's no signature on the orange. He's like, over here. He says, I know the maker. His name is the Holy Sunkist. <laughs> Sticker is right here. And he's like, no. He's like, that's just a company that has the orange or, you know, orchards. Now, when you think about this for a second, do we ever... One of the reasons that I decided, and you should know, that I was contemplating on giving this class or not. Because I could have thrown this class in evolution in like... 15 minutes. No, the appreciation of the world, yada yada, give a few quick examples about the brain, the eye, or maybe something else, and shalom alayhi we could have moved on. And then I was thinking about, you know what, is that one of the main reasons that I decided to give this class is not only to show the idea of, a, a, you know, intelligent design, but also to show the idea of appreciation. Do we ever for a second stop before you eat a fruit, and you're like, God, you're awesome. Right? Yeah. I don't know if you... Some people do some pe- Well, it's good. Now, everybody should do that. Yeah, that's what we do. Oh, called the bachot. That is. But when you, before you eat something, something natural, you look at it. It's so. Think about it for a second. You have an apple over here. Think about the apple. Think of it. Why does it have a protective layer? Why does it have the seeds inside? Why are the seeds of everything slippery? Why is it slippery? You ever try to pick a watermelon seed from a thing? You're like, you know, it's, you know, it's like over there. You know, you're, you're like collecting things over here. It doesn't move. We, a very important thing is because it could slip out of your mouth and fall into the ground so it could plant other things. Then you ever stop for a second and think about stuff? Just think about the world. Okay? It's so important to think. It's so important to think. You know, you look at a spider. After you jump in the chair and scream, right? You're, so you're looking at a spider, right? And you, you ever wonder how a spider makes a web? You ever like wonder like, stop for a second thinking like, okay, like if you look at a spider web, like how did you get from here to there? Like I, you're just, you know, like you have a, like I'd say a, tri- a, you know, a right angle. How, you know, like there's some things that just brings you to question, you know, like you have a web, but how did you get to the other part of it? Did you swing, you know, did you, were you like, you know, like getting in and all of a sudden, oh, you know, one of your eight, you know, you finally got something. Um, and, you know, it's something very interesting because a spider you, the, the weavers actually study spiders to learn about weaving. Spiders don't have to go to the spider class and be like, hey guys, okay, today we're going to learn the interesting web of like in and out. And, uh, you know, so you go in and you go out, you got to make sure you, you we, they don't, they just know it right away. How? Mutations. Okay. The, but, you know, it's something very interesting because spiders, they have a, li- a liquid that's secreted from their abdomen through organs called spinnerets. And th- when this liquid comes into contact with air, all of a sudden, miraculously, it turns to the strongest organic fiber known into the world. How and why? How, we might know, but why? Why does that happen? Not only that, there was once a scientist that wanted to see how much, how much spider thread he could pull out of it. And he was pulling it and pulling it. He got up to 450 feet until he got tired. The spider was still okay. You know, he was like, well, that's it. Uh, he couldn't hear him because the spider was very small and didn't speak English. But the idea was is that he could have gone more and he, and, you know, and he uh, unfortunately didn't. 
we have to stop for a second and look at the creation. Look at the magnificent creation. And for one minute a day at least, tell you, tell God, thank you God. You walk out in the street, it's going to be freezing, right? So you're like covered up in this. You look at a tree for a second, you'd be like, this is awesome. This tree is surviving in like brutal New York weather. No matter, but it's going to come back together. Just stop, stop for a second and say, thank you God. Imagine this idea. And this is why... The, the whole idea of atheism, and again, it, it's, it's a very broad idea. Why it bothers me so much is like, you got to be grateful. you got to be grateful in life. Like, don't you got to look around? All, imagine somebody goes, you never met this person in your life, and he goes, uh, or she goes, and gives you a, a job. And you get this job, and not only they give you a job, every so often you get huge raises. And not only that, you're about to get fired, they, they, they jump in, you never met this person, you never spoke to this person before, and they make sure you don't get fired. And then raises, not fired, raises, not, because you're obviously a lazy worker, so we know that, so, one after <laughs> so, and you're like, not fired, raises. And not only you're not getting fired, you're getting raises, you're getting better, you, you know, more vacation days, more, everything is amazing. Now, you know, there's like, um, I don't know, 10th anniversary of you being there. The company honors you as being the worst employee, but they call you being the best employee for some reason. And they, you know, you come out there to, you know, in your speech, and you say it was through hard work and perseverance that I reached to where I am today, and all of you can do today. Now imagine that guy is sitting, who gave you everything over here, is sitting in the, in, in the audience. And he's like, are you kidding me? He's like, this guy, this guy didn't do anything. He's sitting, he, not, he doesn't even work. I was like, I arrange every for, everything for him, and he doesn't even appreciate me, uh, uh, you know, when he gives his, his, you know, ones and ten year speech. You ever think about that? God gives us, and gives us, and gives us, and gives us, and it gives us to more into infinity. And we stop for a second and think, well, maybe there's no God. Do you open your eyes in the world and see what the world is? Let's look for a second at the human body. And by a second, I mean for a little bit more than a second. Okay. So now, the, you and body works together with so many intricate parts that has to work together in order to, to uh, um, in order to achieve the purpose and stay alive. You have the nerve the nerve cells which convey you know information. You have the cardiac cells which keep the heart pumping. You have the cells that fight germs, the digestive cells, the reproductive cells, the glands, the respiratory system. That di- you have th- systems after systems that all work together in unity to try and make sure that you're okay. Now, when you look at something that is very complex and very difficult to understand, the human brain. Let me give you some facts on the human brain to show you about the idea and, the, and, and such a, a beautiful design that really points to an intelligent design. First of all, the blood vessels that are present in the brain, you know how many blood vessels you have? Over 100,000 miles. If you connect all the blood vessels in your brain, it would be more than 100,000 miles. That is more, imagine getting to the moon, that's very far, right? That will take you halfway to the moon. That's how much brain cells you have in your little brain. In your, and I say little, it's really, it's, it's a small, uh, you know, you know uh, ideal. It's a small uh, object compared to all the other, you know, parts of your body. There are 100 billion neurons present in your brain. That is a lot of neurons present in your brain. In early pregnancy, the neurons develop at an alarming rate of 250,000 per minute. All by nature and accident. Your brain, you think, is like full of like, just blood vessels. No, it's 73% water. In your brain, 73% water. Your whole brain weighs about three pounds. You're, and each neuron of those 100 billion neurons can, tra- can transmit a thousand nerves impulses per second. And by the way, you should know something, that when your brain, can, when you see an image, it can process it for a little, as little as 13 milliseconds. That's all it needs, and your brain already can process the information. The, you know, you have, the brain is also composed of 60% fat. You think, like, this brain is only, it's 60% fat. 2% of the whole body weight is the brain. 20% of all the energy goes to the brain. Now, who told it that it needs so much energy? Like, we're, like, how did that system work? 
Now again, we know the how. When I say how, I really mean the why. Every minute, you have about a liter of blood that flows to the brain. A liter is like, is that soda bottle a liter? I think that soda bottle is a liter. Is that a liter? That's what goes to your brain every single minute. Every single minute, that's the amount of liquid that goes to your brain. The, <clears throat> if a blood supply in the brain would stop, after 8 to 10 seconds, the, you would start losing consciousness. So, you, this is something constant, not just like, you know, every so often when it's in the mood, 9 to 5, it works. It works 24 hours a day, 90, 100, 120 years, non-stop. This is unbelievable. If you, it, the brain would not be able to survive if it's left with 5 or 6 minutes without any oxygen. The size of a grain of sand, which is very small, try cleaning sand out of your shoes when you get sand. Just one little tiny grain of sand contains 100,000 neurons and 1 billion synapses which are all communicating with each other. And not only that, all brain cells are not alike. You have as many as 10,000 specific types of neurons in your brain. Does this begin to wonder, like, maybe somebody did something over here. By chance, the brain information travels at a speed of 268 miles per hour. Formula One race cars, which I hope none of you knows what that is, is travels at, which is a very fast car, let's just leave it at that, travels at 240 miles per hour. The brains are, the brain cells, these information is traveling at 268 miles per hour. What about your brain storage capacity? You ever think about like, what happens if you know like, okay, you know like storage full, you know like, you know, that's it, like no more information, you gotta clear out the data, clear out your cache, you know, you gotta just like either insert more memory or you're done. How much memory does your brain have? So, according to science, it's virtually unlimited. But there, there was a latest research that showed that the capacity is a quadrillion, which is 10 to the 15 bytes, which if you don't know any computer terms, a lot. How much a lot? Imagine fitting the entire internet in your brain. That's a lot. Everything that exists on the internet, in your brain. That, you're able to store all that information. Now all we need to do is figure out how to put that information in our brain. Uh, the question is, would you do that? I don't want all this stuff in there. There you go, there's where I was going to do that. The human brain is 30 times more powerful than IBM Sequoia, which is the world's fastest supercomputer, which one of the, one of the world's fastest supercomputer. Japan's K computer, which is also one of the most powerful computers, when it was programmed to stimulate human brain activity, it took 40 minutes to uh, go through the data, what it would take one second of the brain to, to, to go through. One second, 40 minutes of the most powerful supercomputer in the world. And when I mean powerful supercomputer in the world, I don't mean that you're getting the top-of-the-line cell phone. I'm talking about a supercomputer that you're not able to buy. It like, exists like, in certain realms of like, you know, high-class you know, government uh, you know, officials. On average, you know, let me ask you this. How many thoughts do you think you have per day? A thousand? Over 70,000 thoughts that you have per day. Now, well, it's true. A woman is probably, men is probably closer to the thousand. A woman is probably closer to that. All this, all this is all that's going on in your brain. Now, while this is all going on in your brain, you are able to sense all the colors around you. You're able to smell all the smells around you. You're able to sense the temperatures all around you. The temperatures can be different in your body. You can be cold in your feet, and you can be hot in your, you know, in your, in your core. You can be cold in your arms and hot in your feet. There's so everything is registered in the thing. The pressure. You ever think about the pressure? You realize that every single pressure, every part of your body has a pressure sensor. Which means is if you go, if someone just goes like this, you already feel it. You know what it is? You, every single part of your body, if you put on your socks in the morning and you have a tiny pebble, you feel it. Like, why would you feel that? It's so insignificant. You're typing on the keyboard and there's like one little, you know, like here that you would feel that. You feel everything. All the pressures are all, all related to the brain. 
While all this is happening, you're registering all the sounds around you. While that, you're registering that you have a dry mouth, and you think, maybe I need a drink. <laughs> Good gateway. All this, you also have your emotions that you're dealing with. Because all the emotions depends on how you're going to respond to different you know, stimuli that happens in your, in, your, in your day. Are you going to be upset about the same thing, or are you going to be happy about the same thing? You realize, by the way, in your day, if the thing that's going to happen to you, the way that you take it is based on the emotions that you have at that given point in time. Something... Very easy to tell this in the relationships. Something, if you're in a good mood, it's not going to bother you that your spouse is doing it. All of a sudden you're in a bad mood, it bothers you. Who is telling, who is organizing that whole system to, you know, to do that? I mean, it's your brain. For women, it's a big part of the brain. Just, uh, you know, takes, I'm just kidding, it's for everybody. So, besides all this, you also have your thoughts. Your thoughts are kind of... Now, the brain is not focusing on one thing at a time. Now, as a man, we all know that men think of one thing at a time. Women, right, you guys can think of like a manifesto of things at the same time. Um, you never ask a woman what she's thinking about because you need to scroll over there and be like, well, I'm thinking about what am I doing? And then how am I going to design a house? How am I going to have my babies? How am I going to do them? What am I going to do that? I'm like, but you're six years old, you know? Um, anyways, so... Besides that, you're also going and you're, you also have your memories, your, your previous memories. And after all that, you're breathing. You ever think about it? You don't have to say, breathe out. Okay, breathe in. Breathe out. Oh, breathe in. It, this all happens subconsciously. You know how much stuff happens subconsciously? You have in your brain over one million messages per second. And not only that, the brain does something very amazing. It filters. It's a filtering system. You realize, like right now, there's a lot of noise that's going around. I guarantee you, and 99% of you did not hear one train since you came in here. You know the train is right over here. You should have heard it. I did. You heard it? Yes. 99%, so I'm still good. 1%. Assuming we had 100 people here. Okay, then my math would work out. Yeah. You don't hear the train. Some people may or may not hear the fan. You, hear, you may or not hear people that's talking down the hall. You may not hear people, the cars that are driving outside. You may not hear people chewing, eating, spending. Some people will hear that. Um, but there's so many sounds that are going around. And we just take it, we just, the, we don't hear it. Why? Because our brain filters it. You know, this is, is you know, in some uh, autistic, uh, you know, people, they, the filtering system doesn't work that way. That I, I, I want, someone once sent me a clip on how they, how an autistic kid walks through a, uh, a mall. And they walk through the mall and they hear everything. You hear, you don't hear just your mother's voice right over here. You hear a thousand voices. You, you hear, hear gates. Voice. You hear everything. And that's why they're like, they're like this because there's so much stimuli that's going in that the brain is not filtering it out. Now, I don't know if that's how autistic works, but the brain is, when the brain is not, is not filtering it out, it could be. So the brain is not filtering it out. You have all, imagine how much of a blessing it is that the brain is filtering out all this information. I'll tell you something so amazing. This is so amazing only nowadays. Um, we have something that is called a cell phone. Now, if a cell phone vibrates, doesn't matter, it's a class, doesn't matter, it's, you know, the, the high holidays, God forbid you have a... The second a cell phone, everyone takes out the cell phone, someone important is a message me, I'm important. Phantom That's vibration. Yeah. yeah. So the second you have a vibrate, and this is an example, we have a few cell phones on the, on the table. Next time that there's a vibration, I'm saying it right now, this is how much the experiment is going to work. The next time that there's going to be a vibration, you hear like, you know, on the, on the table, Look how many people are going to look at the phone. Someone important is, I'm so important. Who's calling me right now? I'm so important. Who's, you know, and you, know, and you go and look because like, I can't wait for like 20 minutes until after, you know. So, but there's something very interesting. So, you know, everybody has their own ringtones, especially nowadays they make custom ringtones. Uh, and, you know, I still remember in the olden days when like something came out called your phone ringing. I don't know if they still have it or not. Your phone is like this African-American guy telling you that your phone is ringing. Um, so, everyone has this own personalized uh, ringtone. Now, the 
you ever realize something, you could be doing something and concentrating, somebody else's phone is ringing and it's not your ringtone, you don't hear it. You don't hear it. It's there, but you don't hear it. All of a sudden, the same distance, the phone is right next to each other, your phone is ringing, all of a sudden you hear it. How did that happen? Different ringtone. Different ringtone. All of a sudden, your brain recognizes it, be like, okay, that ringtone, don't need to do it. Filter it out. We don't need it. This ringtone, I know this is important. You know, send messages, all systems go, stop whatever you're doing, get the phone, we need to see what's happening right now. Where did the brain get that information to do that? Where is this amazing, uh, you know, filtering system? It's something, you know, and, and uh, you should realize that your brain is able to take everything. There, you know, like a, in certain, like, high, let's say, like CIA, Mossad, like those type of FBI, in order to get to certain, like, training areas, they do certain tests. Those tests are that you have to walk into a room, and you have about four or five, six seconds. You look around the room, you've got to leave the room. And then you get tested about the room. How many males were in the room? How many females were in the room? How many of the females were wearing heels? How many of the males were wearing hats? How many chairs were in the room? How many lights were in the room? How many lights were off? How many lights were on? They ask you the craziest questions. And you think about it, it's not possible. But if you train yourself, your brain has all this information. You just go around like that, your brain collected all that information. If you are able to concentrate, you're able to focus on this, you're able to remember all that information. There are people that use this information through hypnosis. If, let's say somebody was by a crime scene. And they go and they just, you know, like everything came out and they couldn't remember everything. Some police, you know, you know, academies, they use, I don't know if how, how many, how popular this is, but they'll put them through hypnosis. And be like, can you describe the suspect to me? Can you describe exactly how he looked? And when they say, I can't understand, but all of a sudden they put them through hypnosis, the brain sees everything. The brain can count. If you're traveling on, a, on you know, you're driving on a highway, the brain already knows how many trees you pass by. Now, you're not sitting there and counting all the trees, you know, for, for, you know until you, you, you lose it, but the brain has all that information inside you. It's all stored inside, but the brain has something called a filtering system. How? Nature. Wow, so beautiful, right? Isn't this some mutations, right? It's unbelievable. So, the... You think about it, like your brain doesn't have, you know, a you know, designer. In 1953, two people by the name of James Watson and Francis Crick discovered something called deoxyribonucleic acid, otherwise known as, a.k.a. street name, DNA, right? So, <laughs> DNA is a chain of chemicals that are found in any, every human cell. Now, DNA contains an exact blueprint of every physical detail in you, including your toe prints, your skin prints, your skin, your fingerprints, your heart size, your shape. Everything is in that DNA. Now, Dr. Michael Denton, an Australian microbiologist, he says that the capacity of storage for DNA is so vast he says that if you were to if you are to put all the species in the world in the same you know storage capacity of a DNA, you would be able to fit fit everything on a teaspoon. All the species in the world, all that information, you could fit it on the on the teaspoon, and you'll still have room on the teaspoon for <coughs> all the books ever written. Now, you're all you know women over here, so you know what a teaspoon is. But for the men, the teaspoon is the smaller spoon, not the larger spoon. So it's the smaller spoon. <coughs> you're able to fit all the information in that. That's how vast. This information, uh, you know, is the <clears throat> think of a DNA as a computer program. You know, computer programs work by ones and zeros, right? <clears throat> so you have these binary systems that they work by one and zeros. Now, DNA has simple, sim similar to a one and zero, but instead of one and zero, there are made of four chemicals that scientists abbreviated as A, T, G, and C. And in every cell, you have three billion of these letters and every cell combining these, uh, uh, <clears throat> the formula for all, you're your basically your program. Bill Gates, whoever doesn't know Bill Gates, <clears throat> but if you don't know about Bill Gates, he was the founder of Microsoft. If you don't know about Microsoft, I can help you. <laughs> DNA is like a software, he says like this, DNA is like a software program, only much more complex than, everything, than anything we have ever devised. 
So you look at something like a DNA, and this is what <coughs> you know that we spoke you know uh, you know about before that Dr. Flew. He, this is the one that you know this is what changed his mind about like this is so complex. How is it possible that it came from nothing? There must be a creator in the world. The I apologize. I know it's getting late. I'm going to do the, my usual announcement. If you got to go, it's okay. Please feel free. But we have we still we still have some some more uh, you know information that we need to get through. Let's look at the eye for a second. The eye is the most complex organ after the brain. It is composed of two million working parts. Eighty percent of our memories are determined by what we see. And you should know, thirty-nine million people are blind. Did we ever stop for a second and think about like you know like yeah right like. 39 million people are blind. You ever stop for a second to think about, you know, like, oh my gosh, I got something stuck in my eye. And we do all the things, you know, that of course are science, you know, like you look down and you spit, um, you know, like real scientific information. And, um, you know, like when you're coughing, you pick up your hands. Um, so, you know, this is like scientific information that you gram. I heard on the radio that if you do this, it's going to make you better. So, the, you know, you, you ever stop for a second and appreciate the fact that you're able to see? And not only that, the fact that you're able to see color? You ever, you know, like, I'm a man, so, you know, when I look at something like this, this red chair, I call it a red chair. You might call it, uh, you know, burgundy, red, rose, you know, magenta, you know, I don't know. what I remember one time I was with my daughter, and I was, you know, she was young, and we were very young, and we were speaking about colors. And I was like, what color is this? And she's like, magenta. And I'm like, that's not a color, sweetheart, it's red. And she's like, no, it's magenta. I know, my wife told me. Um, so... Uh, I'm like, you ever realize and appreciate, I mean, us as men, we can't, def- I mean, I can speak for myself, you know, I don't see rose, wine, or cherry, which one? I'm like, am I making a salad? What are we doing over here? Why are we looking at colors and we're talking about food? I'm like, I don't, under- you know, I, I really don't understand. Um, so, the, you know, when you, when you, you yeah, you, by the way, you realize, your eye is able to discern a difference of 500 different shades of gray. I know gray and black and white, and that, I know one, Right? You're technically, you're able to discern 50, 500 shades of gray. Do you ever appreciate for a second how much gray you're able to appreciate? Just like the fact of just gray. Forget about all the beautiful colors that you see in the, in, in the universe. Just the gray. Appreciate the gray. The, you know, an average blink lasts one-tenth of a second. And guess what? There's no thinking involved. And if you start thinking, now watch everybody. Everyone's going to start blinking right now. Everyone's going because you start concentrating. You, you don't have to think about the blink. Blinking just happens automatically. Now you're going to see some people are going to refuse to blink. And their eyes are going to get dry. And then they're going to blink again. And they're going to get it. Now I'm blinking because I'm talking about it. All right. So, but if you realize, all this happens without you thinking about it. Isn't this amazing? Do you ever, for a second, imagine... Every four seconds, you get an alarm. Blink. All right, blink. Every one second, breathe. Breathe. You know, like, you'll be consumed with this. You won't be able to... What's your occupation? I breathe and I blink. (laughs) Professionally, you know. So, you you blink an average of 4.2 million times per year. If only you could get a dollar for every time you blink. Okay. Now, the, you know, fingerprint has 40 unique characteristics in it. And a, the iris has 256 different characteristics. This is why retina scans are becoming more popular and be, are being used for security purposes. That if you use for, I, I believe some phones are, I don't know if it is, or maybe it's face, facial recognition, but re, it's more secure if you're able to use uh, you know, an iris scanning. The, you, you have two eyes. There was once a comic guy there. Cyborg, Cyclops, Cyclops, is that the right thing? Cyborg, one eye guy, right? The one eye guy, Cyclops. One eye guy be like, wow, that you know, he only needs one eye. Super cool, you know. Just the opposite. You get, you have two eyes because that gives you the depth of perception. You know how, how, how much? I, if you don't have the depth of perception, it's just a comedy scene. 
And it's a very sad comedy scene. But it's going to be, you know, like, we, do we ever appreciate that we have the depth of perception? The, uh, you know, when you, the eye can distinguish among seven million colors. I know of about seven. There are seven million colors that exist, you know, and it's not, you can't make a song up for that, like in the radio, in the rainbow. There are seven million colors that your eye can distinguish between. And it has automatic focusing that handles 1.5 million messages simultaneously. That's a lot of messages. Try answering two messages simultaneously. 1.5 million. There are 7 million cone-shaped color sensors that, that, they, you know, that they, they're able to accept this information. Now, if there is insufficient light, light you have another 120 million rod-shaped, ultra-sensitive black and white sensors, which switch on by themselves when, there, when there's not light, or like a night vision. All of a sudden, night vision comes on, and you're able to see better in the night. The... What happens is, is that we have an optic nerve that accepts these signals from 127 million sensors and recodes them to more compact signals and then shoots them down a few hundred thousand nerve fibers that lead to our brain at about one billion impulses per second. All by accident. Beautiful, no? Okay, the, if you think about the eye, the brain, can you say for a second that this all happened by accident? Yeah, through mutations. You would need not a billion years, not a trillion years, not a Google amount of years. It's a number. Yeah, <laughs> Google it. Uh, there, it is the, the amount of time that you need to do it. Even if you believe in the whole evolution, which I, you know I'm not gonna. Yeah, that's fine. You can believe whatever you, it is that you believe in. How is it possible? Now, when I say how, I mean why. I gotta keep making sure that's. You know why I say that? Because. I was giving this class once, and a guy kept on being like, well, we know how it happens. I mean, I don't know how it happens, but people know how it happens. And I'm like, I don't mean how, I mean the why. There's something else behind this that has to make sense. We, besides this, we have, you know, on both sides of our head, we have something called balance detectors. You ever go, I know drunk people tend to like this uh, game, they'll, um, they'll drink a lot, and then they'll turn around very, very fast, and then they run very far, very fast. <laughs> Apparently, this is a, you know, in their mind, this is like a very smart idea. This is going to, this is going to be very smart. And you ever realize what happens? All of a sudden, your balance sensors are off. You just like, you know, like you, you know, like you veer to the right side. You ever drive a car and like there's one tire, just less ear. And all of a sudden, you're just like, you know, you know, like you keep on turning it. And then you're turning your wheel on an angle. Like, why is it that our bodies are just not like veering to the right? You know, let's say you use your right hand, your righty, and your, you know, your right hand is much stronger, your right foot is right stronger. Why don't we just like walk to the right? You know, like why don't we just like tilt to the right? Why, why do we have balance? Now, some people, you know, do have these balance issues, which we, we have to be grateful that we have the ability to balance ourselves. You ever think about that for a second? The immune system. You know what the immune system is? We don't have the time to get into all these systems. There's a foreign something that gets into your body. So, a bunch of, you know, white blood cells get together and be like, you know, intruder alert, red sound. Now they all come together, the army forms, and attacks this intruder. Now you don't think for a second, but like, oh, wait a minute, I, I got an intruder somewhere, let me go find it. No, ev everything happens by itself. You have the respiratory and the circulatory, the circulatory system. You breathe in oxygen. How did the oxygen get into your, into your muscles? It goes through the blood and then transfer this and it goes through everywhere. Who told it to do that? It's all happening by itself, miraculously, naturally, however use you, you know, whatever it is you want to use it. The digestive system. You eat something like this. Right? Which I'm sure has very little nutritional value. Right? I saw sour sticks going around over here before. You look over there, it says wheat inside over there. I have a, high, a hard time believing how much wheat is, is, you know, there. How much nutritional value is in this? Yet your body is able to eat this and extract anything that's good and take it and the other, the bad stuff, put it in a different place. You know, it goes down a different pipe. Who get, all by accident. That was close enough. Okay. The, 
it, you know, it's, it's so unbelievable that we don't, you know, think about it. Now, that's just the body. Think about the world for a second. If the earth was smaller, the atmosphere would be impossible. It would be like mercury. If the earth was larger, it would be impossible. It would be, it would be too much free hydrogen. It would be like uh, Jupiter. So the earth is only possible in the specific size that it is. Not only that, you know, the earth spins at 67,000 miles per hour. You get dizzy every so often. Maybe, oh man, the earth is spinning faster. It doesn't spin fast. It spins always 67,000 miles per hour. Now, why don't we feel it? Why, of course, we're going to speak about that, Bezalachim, hopefully when we get to Einstein's uh, you know, uh, theory of relativity, and Bezalachim will speak about that next week. But you ever realize there's so much stuff happening that your brain sort of just like focuses everything. You know that the earth has to be the, exactly the right size. 8,000 miles in diameter. If it was 9... By the way, 8,000 miles in diameter should put you in perspective on your 100,000 miles of brain, you know, blood vessels that you have in your brain and how much that is, how much time you can circle, you know, the earth. If, it was, if the earth was 9,500 miles in diameter, the, it would, this would cause a doubling in the weight of the ear. We would have so much oxygen that would turn into the water, we wouldn't have any land, it would turn into water and we would not be able to exist over here. So we could only exist because the earth is at its specific size. What happens, the Earth is at, is at a very, you know, neat 93 million miles from the Sun. If it would be a little bit closer, we would burn. If it would be a little bit further, we would freeze. Just so happens that all these things just so happen to work so nicely together. You ever wonder how rain comes into the clouds? You ever stop for a second and you're like, how is it that rain gets up there and it comes down? Let's make it very brief. It's late. I, I really have a, a lot of scientific explanation of this, but it is getting late. So let's try to make it a little brief. There is, you have water vapor. In the, the, the ocean, the, you know, the sun beats down on the, on the ocean and it, the, the water turns into water vapor. It comes up and, it, you know, things that are less dense rises over things that are more dense. Now, this all of a sudden, you have a, you have a massive air that quickly um, cools at its saturation point. It travels up and it turns into clusters. These clusters we call clouds. These clouds, all of a sudden, from the rain, from the oceans, they come and they get, they get uh, you know, pushed by the wind into the land, and voila, we have rain, snow, depending on where you live and what's the season. You ever, you know, think about, like, how amazing it is that we can get rain over here? Also, why is the rain not salty like the oceans? Where is the salt staying over there? How does everything work so perfectly? You know, the, besides the idea, I, I, I really don't have the time to be speaking about water, but water is such an amazing, you, can only, you can't exist without water. There's so many, there, there, there's so many beautiful things about water. The only... <clears throat> you know, how, how uniquely suited it is for life, that there's a, wide, there's a wide margin between its boiling point and its freezing point. It allows us to, to um, you know, through our body, it's something called the universal solvent. Solvent. Okay, that you have something that is also neutral, that it's able to transport chemicals, it's able to transport nutrients without affecting its chemical makeup. It is something so believe, unbelievable that we cannot exi exist without it. Yeah, you know, miraculously, it just goes and it travels, you know, it comes to us when we need it, into, you know, into the water. There is, <clears throat> have you ever wondered why ice floats? Anybody ever wonder why ice floats? Why is it less dense on water? Oh, good answer, because it is. So, most substances are more dense in their solid form. The more solid they get, the more dense they get. Except for something called water. Water is different, right? We know, of course, it's because hydrogen bonding. We're not going to get into that. Um, the colder that the water gets, the heavier it gets. Yet when it gets cooled down below 4 degrees Celsius, it suddenly becomes lighter. Now, why? Why is it that it becomes lighter? So, by the way, so we know about this. You have one liter of water, of ice, weighs less than one liter of water. Which means this, is that it would rise. It all of a sudden, it, it rises up. 
you know what? <coughs> How important this is? You ever think about it for a second? How come the lakes only freeze on top and not on the bottom? <coughs> you ever think about it that if the lake would freeze on the bottom, the rivers would freeze on the bottom, the, the fish will all die. Somehow, miraculously, this water has a property that it makes the lakes only freeze on top because ice rises and then it keeps everything else on the, it's cold but it's, but it's, not, it's not frozen and it's, it has the ability for the fish to, uh, to survive kind of, kind of cool the, we're almost done over here the, one of the most important things when you deal about this is, is that people say nature people say nature to all these things so then you can ask a question about nature why is nature the way it is? Let's ask the question that we asked before, that you should not ask to your spouse. Why is nature the way that it is? Why is gravity always constant? Why do you know if you have a hot cup of coffee, it's going to become cool if you leave it on the counter? Why is it that the earth rotates at the space that it rotates? Why do we know that every 24... We can predict when sun rises, when sunset is. Why is it so mathematical? Why is it so predictable? You ever think about that? It's so reliable. And scientists are very strange. You know, they're, they're, they've been struck about how strange this is. Richard Feynman, a Nobel Prize winner of quantum electrodynamics. Now, if you ask most people what's quantum electrodynamics, they don't know what it is. He's a Nobel Prize winner of something that we don't know what it is. Now, okay, of course we know it's a, you know, how light and uh, matter interact. But the question is that he says, and I'm going to quote, why nature is mathematical is a mystery. The fact that there are rules is all kind of a miracle. You ever think about it? Why? So you say nature, but why? Why does it all happen so... Stephen Hawking, a theoretical physicist in Cambridge University, wrote in 1988, The whole history of science has been the gradual realization that events do not happen in an arbitrary manner, but they reflect a certain, lo- a certain underlining order. Pretend you're a judge for a second. right? You're a judge of a murder case. And the... You know, the defendant is sitting over there and, you know, the ballistic tests come back that it matches perfectly with the gun that he owns. And he says, Your Honor, you know, I understand that it matches, but it's got to be a different, you know, it's got to be a different gun. You know, even though the chances are one in a billion, but it's still possible. It's still possible that, you know, maybe it belongs to somebody else. Fine, okay. Then, uh, you know, they find out that the defendant's fingerprints are all over the body of the, you know, victim. And he says, Your Honor, crazy thing. There's somebody out there that has the exact same fingerprints as me. Is it possible? I mean, it's very unlikely, but it can you, it's, it's possible. It's very, very close that it's undiscernible. Yeah, we can say, but you know, you can't say that it's impossible of all the seven, close to seven billion people we have in the world that no one has close enough that we can, uh, you know, pick up those, uh, you know, the, you know, the differences in that. And then, you know, it's possible. And then he says, you know, then eyewitnesses come up and be like, no, we saw you, you know. So he says, uh, but we saw, you know, we have, we have eyewitnesses. So he says, listen, there's somebody out there who looks exactly like me, who has the same fingerprints as me, and probably the same gun as me. Now, is it possible? Maybe. Is it unlikely? Yes. Is it? Can you say it's impossible? Probably more so. Now, when you look at the evidence, are you going to say that this guy is guilty or this guy is innocent? You're going to say this guy is guilty. Why? Because, you know, it's beyond reasonable doubt that you, you, you committed it. Granted, it could be. It's there. When you're looking at the world, you have two options. You have nature, you have, uh, you know, natural selection, or you have something called an intelligent design, a designer. If you're true to yourself, like Dr. Anthony Thru, Flew, words are coming out slower now, that if, you're, if you're true to yourself, then you're going to start saying, okay, there has to be something over here. There has to be something over here. Now, I want to end off very, very quickly with, um, with just, you know, science has a comeback against, uh, um, you know, uh, comeback, uh, you know, fight, win, power. Okay, so now the... They say intelligent design has no place in science. It's never been used in the study of science. So 
it's true that it's you know you know very unscientific to prove something of God. It's very difficult to get into that uh, in, in that terminology. But intelligent design definitely has been used in science. We look at something called archaeology. Words of English. You look at something called archaeology, right? Now, this you have when they look at rock formation. Let's say you have a bunch of square shapes, neatly shaped one after another. Here, they, what they think about is like, did this happen by nature or did this happen by intelligent design? Now, they're not obviously looking at intelligent design as God created these bricks, but they're thinking about it. Maybe humans created this brick. So we do see that, you know, intelligent design is used in science. Anthropology. You have a sharp pointed rock. Did this come into by itself or did somebody create this rock to use as a knife or a spear? Forensics. Was the cause of death an intelligent design? Was somebody cause the force of death? Or was it a natural circumstance? You know, search for extra, extraterrestrial intelligence. Was it, is, are these radio waves, you know, by chance? Or are, is this intelli- you know, intelligent beings that are sending these uh, things out? The Scientific American brings out a, 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 you know, another point. Um, sometimes you think the most you know, prestigious you know, scientific um, you know, journal out there could come out with something so, you know, like, you know, like come on, man. Like, really? Like, you have a reputation to, you know, to stick to. So they had a thing called Bad Design. Bad Design, the t- the, actually, the, the title of this is If human, Humans Were Built to Last. This was uh, presented that if humans were really created by God, why do we have something called Bad Design? There's Bad Design stuff. And they use an example called the esophagus. The esophagus, so we know that you have, when you eat something, if it's food, which is what you should be only eating, goes down your esophagus. Now... The way that the esophagus goes is that you have one pipe that sort of branches out into the trachea and to the esophagus. The esophagus goes the food, the trachea, which is in the front, goes the ear, it goes into the lungs. Now, what stops all the food from going into your lungs? There's something called an epiglottis. It's like a sort of a flap, like a venting. You know, like, like you go there, you come here. You know, this, guy, this, is, the, this is the bouncer. In, the, you know, in front of there, making sure who comes in and who comes out. Now... They, we know that this doesn't work as well because sometimes you take a drink or you eat something and it gets stuck in there like, oh, wrong pipe. You know? Wouldn't it have been smarter, says the scientist, says if we had two pipes, why do we confuse the two? Why one pipe transitioning into two? Let's have two pipes. Let's have our mouth made for eating and our nose made for breathing. So, bad design shows that it's not a creator. So there's a few problems with that. According to scientific theory, there's a few problems with that. One of them is if you would have two tubes in your neck, you know that now you would need a larger neck. Not as uh, much as people want. Also, you would have more energy that is needed to, you know, support these two things. Now, let's say you have allergies. One of the, you know, millions of people in America that have allergies. And your only breathing apparatus system is congested. So now, all of a sudden, allergy becomes a life-threatening condition. That you have a stuffed nose. You have a sinus congestion. You, you can't, because you only breathe through because the mouth is only meant for eating. And the, and the nose is meant for, um, is only meant, uh, you know, for breathing. Now, besides that, Imagine you only have your, you know, in order for your nose to work as only a, the only breathing, you know, apparatus, you would have, you know, when you're running, you need to take a lot more air in. You need a lot more oxygen. That's why we usually breathe with our mouth, because our mouth is a lot larger, we're able to breathe in a lot more air. Now, in order for that to work with our nose, our nose will have to be a lot larger. For some people, you know, that's okay already, they don't need that. But for other people, they would need a very, very large nose. Now, I'm a Jew, I'm allowed to say that. Um, so, um... It, so when you when you uh, when you think about it now the, the nose is going to have to be significantly larger. Now if it's significantly larger, you know what's going to happen? Let's say a fly goes in there. You, you want a fly flying around in your in your lungs? 
Yeah, yeah. It's gonna go on. The, you know, you're gonna go all the way down to your lungs. There are so many problems coming back, which means is the only way logically that it could work is only if we have two with a with you know with an epiglottis with a little flap there that, that, that you know that directs it. Then they say you know we didn't have time. That we we spoke very briefly about it. The vestigial organs. The vestigial. You have the 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 appendix. You know back then. The scientists, were, you know, the doctors were like, well, we don't know what this is. This must not do anything. Let's just take it out. But the appendix, we found out that it actually does do some help. They did an uh, experiment in the rabbits that demonstrated that neonatal appendectomy re- impairs the development of mucosal immunity, which means is it actually affects the body. There, you know, there, there are things in there that is needed. You look at all this. You look at all this information, everything that we presented now, and you have two options. You really have two options, and it's really your option. You have the option of saying, you know what? It's all nature. This has all happened through random mutations. This all happened by chance. This is just, you know, it's unbelievable, you know, it's crazy how it happened, but it happened by chance. Or you have an option to be a little bit more logical. And I don't want to impose anything on you. I'm really presenting the information. I want you to make your own decision. But if you look at it, from my perspective, the choice is obvious. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's not possible. You, you hear what we spoke about the brain? How sophisticated it is that all happened by chance? How crazy is it? There's so much information here that does does not make sense if you say it just happens by chance. Now, granted, you can say maybe, you know, I have bitachon in, in science that it would go, you know, and it will be able to figure it out one day. As of today, where I stand, without a doubt, you know, I see intelligent design as a very strong proof towards a, um, a creator, and that creator is God. One last thing that I want to end off is the fact that I'm sure most of you even believed in it because you're in the class. I would hope that you believe in God. If not, then it's a good thing that you came. Um, but the most important thing, that really the, really, the really the most important thing that I feel in this class is not even about the proving of the God. I feel it is the appreciation that we need to have. To appreciate the fact that you have a working digestive system. You have you're, you're, you're able to breathe. You're able to breathe without any uh, other, you know, outside resources that you need it. You're able to see, you're able to think, you're able to sleep, you're able, there's so much that you have to, and even if you have medical conditions, you have to be grateful for what you do have for. It is so amazing, so unbelievable, so unfathomable. Stop for a second, at least once, at least right after this class, at least once, say, God, thank you. Thank you for everything that you have done. Any questions? No questions? Yes. Any questions? I have a question. I just want to say, um, for our next lecture. Thank you. Um, wow. Uh, if you guys are interested in that in that sort of uh, stuff, there's a website called Hashem.com, and it's the most, the most beautiful website I've ever. Seen. Hashem.com. I never heard of that. Really. Beautiful, and it just shows like like really cool stuff. And I wish you would have told me this before. That I would have had more material. Stuff like that. I'm about to Google. <laughs> it's beautiful. Really nice. Hashem.com. Thank you. I wonder if that like. <laughs> Oh, Oh, really? Any other questions? Yes. Or ads? Okay. Something's too good to be true. Can someone say, like, oh, yeah, Hashem's giving us all this reward and Hashem did all that? Like, can't that also be too good to be true? No, because we have a lot of tests. It's very difficult. The question is, can. can, The question is, how. how, Let me see if I understand the question. Like, that the, the Torah, the afterlife is too good to be true? Not only the afterlife, but just like, let's say, oh, the fact, like, just as an example, like, some people would want to, like, wash their hands in the morning, but Hashem gives us schar for just washing our hands in the morning. Doesn't that seem a little too good to be true, or, like, we're getting schar? Oh, you're saying, okay. He's saying, like... Well, that's the opposite. opposite. You're going in the opposite, right, right. So you're saying is, like, you're going to do something anyways, why are you going to get reward for it? No, I'm saying it's... That's the, that's the fact that like we're getting started for something you'd want to do anyway. Like, doesn't that seem too good to be true? Well, 
technically, I hear, this is a very good, that's excellent, that's an excellent question. If we're doing something, we're going to do something anyways, why do we get reward for it? And one of the main purposes for mitzvot is not because we understand something. That's why one of the, you know, mitzvot, you have to actually think. You think that you're doing it, not because you want to do it, because God told you to do it. It's a lot of anxiety, you know that? Well, it depends, I guess. No, no, it really is. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a good question. I don't think it's that problematic by if you, if, if you know, let's say your father goes and your little kid would be like, you're going to eat anyways, but if you eat all your food, I'll give you a dessert. I'm going to need it anyways because I'm starving. So I'm going to eat anyways. So why, like, it's too good to be true. I'm like, anyways, well, I'm going to do it anyways. Why am I getting reward for it? And it's, I don't see it, I mean, I think it's a good question, but I don't see it as a, as a, like, a too good to be true type of situation. But also, but other thing, also, um, if spiders know how to, like, do all this spinning and stuff by imitation, and we know we have a lot of natural instincts that we do, like eating and sleeping and like a bunch of other things. If that would all be natural, like if that's all natural, how could that be a mutation? Because we would have we would be gone at this point because trial and error would. And so that's why most of us were gone, and the, only the good would survive. All the fittest survived. According, like, so we came. Well, I mean, you're asking a question for a you know. Not for someone who, in my you know position, because I wouldn't, I would say, yeah, there's obviously a creator. But but according to their theology, their understanding is, you know, but that the chances that someone would even know how to do everything we do naturally, like breathe and blink and process and all these things, like like isn't that like nil? Yeah, I yeah, I agree with you. I definitely agree with you. Your theory is your you know your logic is very sound. Any other questions? Thank you. I'm going to wait. Are you showing me a question? I don't she know what it is. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll check that up afterwards. Oh, see it on the computer. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to look at it. It looks, it looks okay. right. It's a great name. Good domain name. Any other questions before we close the camera? No questions before we close the camera? Going once. Going twice. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.